1: Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New
2: Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're going to be talking about Doctor Who spin-off show Class and a true crime podcast in the dark. Caroline has also experienced Laurie Anderson's experimental film slash album Heart of a
1: Dog for the first time, so she'll be telling us how that went later in the show. Hello! Hello! Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've been trawling through our inbox and our social feeds as usual and there was one resounding thought from all of you this week, which was, why in the name of God did you discuss Black Mirror without discussing the best Black Mirror episode
2: of all time, San Junipero? Yeah, quite a lot of you felt strongly that that was the standout episode of Series 3 and that we'd kind of let ourselves down by not talking about it when we reviewed it in last week's episode. To that we could only say, we're sorry, we only have so much time and we can't watch all all of everything before we talk about it. Because there's, what, like, eight hours of Black Mirror or something? Some of the episodes are, like... Oh, yeah, because there's well, some Some of them are, like, longer
1: than an hour. It's true. Anyway, we didn't watch that one. We literally just chose the top and the bottom, didn't we? We were like, yeah. we'll just go for one for the top, one
2: for the bottom, and that should do all right. And they were interesting and, I think, good and a nice contrast. But we have now what? San Junipero. San Giunipero. So we can belatedly give you our thoughts, which were, I agree, it is the best one, <laughs> and I'm really sorry.
1: Yeah, it was so so great aesthetically i absolutely loved it Mm. i've decided that this is the barb from stranger things content that we truly deserved (laughs) (laughs) that's very much it so yeah in my mind died in the underworld or whatever they called it in stranger things and then appeared in san junipero in this but yeah so it's a great funny little strange episode and i think one of the reasons it might be so great ties in with something we were talking about on the podcast last week so The conceit of this episode, spoilers here on, is that you see these two girls sort of falling in love in this strange, isolated place that we don't really understand what it is. And as the episode develops, we come to realize that this place is a sort of virtual reality that doubles up as a kind of afterlife for people. And you can like basically upload your consciousness Mm -hmm. to it when you die and it's basically a really joyful episode it's like quite sad in lots of ways but ultimately quite joyful i'd say and basically this is black mirror saying what are the good possibilities
2: of technology yeah totally because the two real people whose kind of avatars are having this romance in like a slightly 80s themed Californian small town mm. one of them is paralyzed and I think the other one I can't remember what her deal is she's older she's a lot older isn't she she's 76 I think yeah. is
1: what it says at the end and uh, her husband died two years ago and she I think she's got cancer potentially yeah so from she's smoking. kind of
2: near the end of her life and quite lonely that was it mm-hmm. and yeah so this virtual reality thing just allows people to like live on after death or near death essentially or like live lives they never got to have whatever so yeah it's a it's a really interesting and not dark version of what technology might do for the human future
1: yeah and we were basically saying weren't we that one of the things we don't like about black mirror when it's too over the top is that it's so oh technology is always bad and this to my memory is the only one that's overwhelmingly basically positive like they do ethically question the idea of basically retreating into this sort of fantasy a bit but the ultimate conclusion is that it's good for both these people in their specific situations so I think that really lifts it and marks it out as different to the other episodes. The other thing that I thought was great about it was something we were talking about as well, which is that it, at its heart, it's just a very sweet love story. Yeah. And it's about exactly. two people. It's not actually loads about technology. It's more about these two people and what draws them to each other and the sort of traumas in their past and stuff.
2: Yeah, I was reading a review of it actually after I watched it and it's directed by the same person who directed Be Right Back from yeah. the second series, which was the one with Hayley Atwell, yeah. which was also, I think, probably the standout episode of series two and again because it was just about the relationship of her character with this like constructed personality of her her ex i think wasn't it who there's similar conceits actually i was reading about this he was constructed after he died i think out of everything that he'd left behind on social media yeah sort of
1: the reverse yeah so
2: it was kind of like his personality but not quite enough in crucial ways and it was kind of the message of it was that we put a lot of ourselves on the internet but not everything
1: yeah and it was a bit like the resurrection stone yeah right it was like you can bring people back from the dead but they're not really them and you can't really you know you can't it's have what you lost yeah. yeah exactly it's not as positive as this one but yeah i think this this one was really really great and i'm really glad that seriously listeners were like go and watch it go and watch it yeah totally um because yeah it'd be really sad if we hadn't watched it
0: Ooh, baby,
1: So, the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Class, a British science fiction series and spin-off of Doctor Who. Created and written by young adult fiction author Patrick Ness, it follows six students and staff at an East London school as they face threats of alien invasion.
0: Do you know the feeling of dread? Just beyond what you see, just beyond what you know, something out there waiting for you.
2: What have you seen? Was it a shadow?
0: What do you know about shadows?
1: I've only seen the first episode, so that was my best to like <laughs> yeah, sum that, it up. That's
2: about it, really. So it sits in this like vast universe, both literally Slash and figuratively, um, of the Doctor Who things, you know, because there have been other Doctor Who's spin-offs before, like the Sarah Jane adventures, just to name one that I can think of. I'm sure there've been others. Didn't K9 have his own spin-off? Yes, I think it did. Uh, Torchwood, obviously, famously a Doctor Who spin-off. Yeah, I never watched Torchwood. Like, adult Torchwood. So this is, like, the latest in the Doctor Who franchise. Makes total sense, just on a slightly zoomed out point of view, because Doctor Who is one of the BBC's, like, biggest properties. So of course they would want to like mm-hmm. get more out of it. Also, I understand from talking on Twitter to people who know more about Doctor Who than me, <laughs> that the sighting of this series in the Cole Hill formerly School Now Academy is really significant because this school oh. has cropped up like for years in Doctor Who. Like oh, shit. I have both no in idea. recent Peter Capaldi series where he briefly like worked as the caretaker there, but also like going way back And this is why the premise of the series, that there's like a rift in space time in this school, hence why it attracts all this alien invasion interest, is because like basically the doctor's been there too often and like worn the fabric of time thin. Mm. So that makes a lot more sense, I think, when you know that than just how they explain it in the show. Yeah,
1: I was a bit like, oh, so this is just aliens
2: just inexplicably keep coming to this school then. It's actually a very similar concept. I know I keep mentioning it, but Buffy. Because okay. the way they explain the fact that this one high school in California and this one town just has, like, all of the supernatural activity is because it's situated on what they call the Hellmouth. Right. So, like, just this one particular geographical location that is, like, particularly interesting to all these bad guys. Cool. Um, so it's basically the same thing, really.
1: Well, I had a lot of questions about class. My first question would be, what do you think is the intended demographic of class? I don't know. Is it Doctor Who fans of all ages? Is it trying to be sort of like a teen youth thing? I had to tick a box when watching it on iPlayer to Mm. say that I was over 16, which felt a little strange to me because I was a bit like, isn't this... For younger people, it feels really weird to me because it's quite violent in parts. Quite gory. Yeah, Yeah, but it's also, I would say, not of the quality you would hope for from an adult drama.
2: Yeah, so it's odd that because Doctor Who has always been this really unusual hybrid in that regard, in that it's a like Saturday tea time show, always child friendly, Mm -hmm. like the peril is always mild and the swears are always non-existent, Mm -hmm. yet it has this massive adult fan base and has I think right from the very beginning so it's always been like a kids show that like loads of grown men care deeply about. Exactly and
1: I think that's how Doctor Who can get away with being a lot more rough around the edges like the effects are always quite bad the effects are quite bad in this as well this is another question I had watching it it, because do they not have a big, uh, quite a big budget for Doctor Who considering how big it is in international markets Um, and stuff?
2: Yeah but I still think a big BBC budget is nothing compared to a big film budget. A big film budget. Yeah. I actually a while ago went back and watched the first series of the Doctor Who reboot the Christopher Eccleston one which is now on Netflix and oh my god, the effects in that are absolutely terrible. Mm. They look like someone scribbled on the screen with a glow-in-the-dark crayon a lot of yeah, the
1: time. Yeah, but it's always been like that, really, hasn't yeah. it? And class is no different. The effects are, like, jarringly bad, mm. I would say. Which is, again, why you're like, if this is for grown-ups and you have to be over 16, I don't know, there's a real disconnect there that leaves me a bit confused.
2: Yeah, that said, though, I liked some of the characters. Mm-hmm. I liked Tanya. I thought she was really cool. So she, she's this... I think she is 16 but she's she's been bumped she's been bumped up a year because she's so brainy because she's really brainy so she's struggling with being like the youngest in her year and not like having any friends and them all thinking she's a massive dork Mm -hmm. and then also she gets sort of thrust into this little squad that are supposed to fight aliens yes um so I, I really liked her and I kind of identified with her I thought she was awesome I thought the lead girl
1: who isn't Tanya whose name I can't remember was a bit like Oregon from Fresh Meat Mm, yeah she was that kind of vibe of a character the one whose heart gets shared with the alien yes that one that was stupid i didn't like that that was weird <laughs> this is okay so sorry this is probably quite confusing to people listening because we haven't explained the plot at all but part of the issue i have with programs like this i.e with doctor who is that they always do the most annoying explanatory dialogue literally there's a moment in this episode where the doctor appears and he like looks at an alien and looks at a person like waves his little sonic whatever screwdriver dick around, screwdriver. and then it's like oh you have been busy haven't you two beings one heart and you're like what uh it's so confusing and so vague and like they don't even really try I feel like they don't really try
2: to be like this has got to make sense yeah just be like oh we can just have the doctor say this thing and it'll be fine it's been years since any of it's made sense I've actually stopped watching main doctor who having watched it like diligently for years because halfway through the first Peter Capaldi series I was just like I just can't I know I was just supposed to go with this, but I can't anymore. I'm sorry. It's so
1: annoying. And I think, is this what fans refer to as wibbly wobbly timey wimey? Yes. Where they're just like, they'll just say something like that to get around anything. Yes. So I can't bear all that. The dialogue I find really weirdly wooden where they have to like explain their characters in like 10 seconds. Like, I don't know. So there's some like real villains in this and they just say random dark things to like show their villainry. Mm and i i don't know for me the whole thing i was just like i'm so confused i i'm not enjoying
2: this at all the like impetus of the first episode is that two people at the school are not what they seem a, a pupil and a teacher actually turn out to be like alien refugees <laughs> yeah. not what from they a... seem in doctor who language is always they're an alien <laughs> yeah yeah they're, they're like alien refugees from a destroyed planet who the doctor has like parked at coal hill yeah. to keep them safe and to like give them a new start in life All of the flashbacks to their, like, home planet make it look like a shit version of Hogwarts. Everyone is wearing school uniform and just, like, walking around with magical devices. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But then all the, like, magical
1: or, like, spacey bits just look like a, like, 95 Windows spec screensaver. I found that whole thing very odd. And, yeah, there's, again, there's loads more of that sort of weird explanatory dialogue that they have to do. Because they basically spend... what, a good 10 minutes of this programme? Like, just racing through a very elaborate backstory mm. for these two characters about, like, their planet being taken over and stuff. To be honest, I couldn't repeat it to you, but it was, it's a, it was annoying. <laughs> so,
2: having now just, like, been quite harsh on this programme, I'm going to say that I watched the second episode and really liked it. Okay. And I think I'm going to keep watching it. Because exactly as Buffy and as main Doctor Who have always had... The episodes at the beginning and end of each series are always like this. They're always like way too explanatory, way too confusing and don't make any sense because they're like setting up the arc. Mm. Whereas actually the like week to week episode of like teenagers in a school fighting evil is quite good and enjoyable. So in the second yeah. one, spoiler alert for Anna and everyone else, they have to deal with a PE teacher who has got this amazing like tattoo on his back of a massive dragon and it turns out the dragon like jumps off his skin and murders people and like rips them out of their skin and eats them And so they basically have to fight an evil PE teacher and a dragon. Yeah. And it's quite quite good. You know
1: what I mean? So it like works within its own. This is the thing. I like stuff like that. That's a bit more self-contained. Yeah.
2: So I would say if this sounds like something you might like, push through the first episode and then don't judge it until the second one. But then if I feel like if you compared this
1: show, for example, to Crazy Head... Mm-hmm. Which, yes, has a bigger budget, I'm sure, and so can be a bit more experimental. But that is a show that I found genuinely so funny. Yeah, kept, the dialogue kept is so the much Kept the supernatural better. stuff basically to a minimum, like the explanation of it all. Mm. That's just sort of a nice, like, side thing. And mostly it's about these people fighting these obstacles. And for me, there's no comparison.
2: Yeah, no, Crazy Head's much, much better. I think what it is, and this is just a, like a big structural problem BBC has, is that they could have done something original if they wanted to do like a teen show about uh, teenagers fighting supernatural forces they could just do one mm. they don't have to try and append it to the doctor who universe that's make this whole where complicated. all of the problems in this come from right and it's just this like structural thing at the bbc that they seem to have now where they're like we can't risk anything new we have to like build us into our
0: successful brand say hello to a new era of mental health care
2: Now we're going to talk about In the Dark, which is an investigative true crime podcast hosted by Madeleine Barron. It focuses on the abduction of Jacob Wetterling in rural Minnesota in 1989. The case remained unsolved for 27 years until the perpetrator finally confessed in September this year. So
1: that's a really interesting point. This was a planned series of podcast episodes about this specific case that was due to come out, what, in the second week of September or something? Yes. And then in the first week of September, the case was solved. And I don't know how they managed it, but they created this first episode that's so referential to that news. They must have done that in such a short amount of time. And it works really well in a strange way to actually have the conclusion of this really, really sad and really, really horrible case up front at the
2: beginning. Yeah, I think so. And actually what made me listen, because I've listened to the whole series now, and what made me recommend it to you and suggest we do it for the podcast is because of this key difference with Serial and all of the true crime podcasts that have come afterwards, which is that they know the answer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it becomes something completely different. It's not this like, come with us on the investigation, who knows what truth we will find. It's like, no, we know the truth. Now let's work backwards from it and see why we didn't get there sooner. That's the focus of the whole series is like, given that this case is now solved, why couldn't it have been solved six months later rather than 27 years later? I'm really curious to know what all the work they'd
1: done yeah they've done so many interviews was it going to be you know an unsolved style thing i
2: think it was i think it must have been going to because they can't have known that the guy was going to confess yeah that no one knew like so yeah and i think they just like turned on a sixpence and made it into something else and actually i think it's a better show for it
1: well i'm astounded at how quickly they managed to do that and how amazingly like narratively fluid it is So the crime itself revolves around the disappearance of this boy called Jacob Wetterling, who was 11 when he had this... It's really horrible and heartbreaking to hear. So basically the the story goes that his parents were going out and he was at home with his older sister, his older brother or younger brother.
2: An uh, older brother, I think, and like a friend. And a, and a
1: friend. And the three boys decide that they want to go and rent a video from a video store that's about a mile's walk away. So they call their mum and say, mum, we want to go out and go go get this video. And she so- basically says, no, it's not safe because it's a mile away and it's dark and mm. it's just not ideal. And the kid says, oh, okay, well, let me speak to dad. And then dad sort of reluctantly agrees that they can go as long as they take a flashlight so that they won't be run over. And
2: they go on their bikes and they like wear... Reflective jackets.
1: jackets and stuff. Yeah, and a neighbour comes to sit with the sister. Mm. So they cycle down to this store. They try and rent an, R- an R-rated video and they try and call the sister to get her to <laughs> to like okay it with them, but she w- won't do it. And then they're on their way back and some guy basically has been waiting, saw them on their way out, has been waiting for them, bursts onto the road, tells one of the boys to run away and then out of the remaining two asks to see their faces... And then tells another one to run away and not look back, otherwise he'll shoot him. So basically the friend and the brother run all the way home, screaming, report what's happened, the parents are called, the the police are called, and at that point it's a kidnapping case. And it's a kidnapping case that remained unsolved for years and years and years. And they didn't even discover the the body uh, of Jacob until very, very recently. Until
2: the guy showed them where it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah and yeah that whole time the the guy was actually just like living in the next town he didn't move away or anything he just stayed there and it's a really extraordinary story and it gets in in later episodes another thing that i thought was really good about it is that she zooms out and looks at like child abduction as a thing so she's like you know fearing strangers in the dark is something that all children are taught to fear and that all parents mm. worry about actually how likely is it what does it mean what kind of profile of person does this you know so she you never
1: think it's really going to
2: happen as well yeah exactly exactly how like you described there like jacob's mom was like no it's too dangerous but Dad was like yeah it'll be fine Yeah. You know? Which is a horrible thing
1: for him to have to confront because obviously a thousand times out of a thousand and one, it it is fine. It is fine.
2: Absolutely fine. Yeah.
1: So, one thing that I really liked about this and made me feel a lot more comfortable as a listener to this kind of thing was that the parents are involved and the family are involved and they're obviously comfortable with the podcast. And for me, that makes such a huge difference when you're listening to something like this because otherwise, serial, like for example, can feel so exploitative at times. And this didn't... And they're actually such an amazing presence to hear Mm. because they're so strong and you can just tell that they're lovely people that this just horrible thing
2: happens to happen to. the mum is actually in it loads more later as well because she ran for Congress several times later on as a campaigner about like keeping children safe from sex offenders and stuff like that. So, and she's, so interesting and so powerful because she's actually changed her mind about quite a lot of the positions that she supported immediately after the kidnapping. She's now like been to meet sex offenders in prison and all this kind of stuff and now she feels differently. So she is fascinating. Oh
1: wow. I can't Um, wait
2: to find out. So she's really, really good. But you're completely right that I think the only times that she has to say we contacted so-and-so for an interview and they declined is with law enforcement, Mm. with people who had some involvement in the investigation who it's now been shown maybe didn't do their jobs very well and now don't want to talk about it. Yeah, which you can understand why they're not talking and it's not because... (laughs) But I can't actually think of a time when like a key player in the case, even someone who was like essentially falsely accused by police and lived under suspicion in the town for about 10 years, he talks to her like he's in it loads Mm. you know there's a lot of people loads of the so there's an amazing level of access
1: wow well Another thing that's so good about it is that it the production is so great in the same way that Serial really hooked people in with like its texture and like these different clips from like the prison phone calls to the families to the, you know, the her and the producer in the car like this really has that quality of just like the environment is so specific and really well evoked from the beginning and you get all these different like types of audio and it just makes it so much easier to immerse yourself in the story
2: yeah and great use of music as well which is mm-hmm. also something that we had in serial and which not all of the like copycat true crime podcasts i've tried do have mm. so yeah i would totally recommend this one as like a standout
0: There's for me. A child all alone in the world tonight he was stolen away and we cry for his plight. But
2: he's not really gone. Because we won't let him go. We are Jacob's home.
1: So last week I recommended that Caroline watch or listen to Laurie Anderson's Heart of a Dog, a documentary exploring the artist's childhood and her relationship with her dog. It relies heavily on Anderson's esoteric score and spoken word narration, making the soundtrack a powerful work in its own right. So Caroline, did you listen or watch?
2: I listened and I listened like several times as I was like walking places because it was, a. I felt like it's a good album for mm-hmm. that in the sense that the mix between spoken word and instrumental is quite like restful as mm. you're walking ar- around. So I haven't seen the visuals yeah. of it, but I have listened to it. I think the music's completely intoxicating. Yeah. I
1: really like it. Same. I wish that she'd released a version without the spoken word. Yes,
2: I was going to ask you because you said you listened to it while you're working a lot. I listened to two
1: tracks from it. Mm. one's called "The Lake," and I can't remember what the other one's called. And they're the only two tracks on the album which don't have any spoken word. And yeah. I just have them on a playlist which has like some film soundtrack stuff like the Short Term 12 soundtrack and stuff like that, which is sort of in a similar v- mm. vein with like slightly electronic, slightly stringsy. And that for me is like the perfect sort of work music.
2: Yeah, because that's how this struck me as well. Because I use the Sigur Ross album that the title of it is just the brackets mm-hmm. for the same reason. And I felt like... The first song that I put on this, I had a like shock of recognition that I felt like that's what this was. And so, yeah, it's very much like a style of music that I really like, but that maybe slightly unfairly I generally use as background while I do other things. Mm -hmm. I think
1: if I was sort of sat at home and I'd lit a candle, then I could also listen to this album. But Mm -hmm. I tend to listen to it when I'm working quite a lot sort of music aside how did you feel about the spoken word elements to this
2: some of it made me laugh i think not in the way that she meant because (laughs) some of it is very just like new york art scene. yeah in a way which is i mean she is very that as a as a figure yes yeah so some in the same way that like a couple of times in i love dick i just get this flash of like you are ridiculous, people. This is people. too much. This yeah. is too much. Stop talking about your art projects, people. Mm. So yeah, a couple of times I was like, yeah, Laurie, this is a bit, bit too much for me. But by and large, I found it quite endearing. I remember watching...
1: I can't even remember why I sat down and watched this, but I did. And I found the first 20 minutes or so, I was a bit like what is this? <laughs> not really into this. And then there was a moment and I can't remember what she was talking about, whether it's the big sort of swimming pool sequence mm. that's quite climactic or whether it was just about the dog where I was just like hit suddenly by like a huge wave of emotion. And I found, and I've spent the rest of the film sort of weeping while I was watching it. And I wondered, did you have like an emotional reaction to this or not so much?
2: Um, I did a bit actually, not least because I spent the weekend at my parents' house where my sister's dog, who is really old now,
1: Aww. lives.
2: And like, I took her for a walk on Saturday morning, and it took like twice as long to do a walk that we used to do really quickly. Aww. And it made, and then I listened to this on the way, on the train on the way back, and I was like, hmm. oh, you know? that is sad. So, yeah. yeah, I did kind of connect those two things. Yeah, it's, it's, I had a similar thing with
1: Sanjina Napero this week where at the end of that I was like oh my god my grand's really old and I really do not want my grand to die in any way shape or form but <laughs> just found it so ridiculously emotional but yeah there was I don't know there's something about the cadence of Laurie Anderson's voice and the music and I think maybe the illustrations were part of this as well that just really it all became suddenly like a sweet spot in my mind and I found it overwhelming but It is a very strange thing. And Uh she is a very strange artist, I think, but I'm glad you gave it a go.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely going to save some of the tracks and keep them as like special music for working too. Great. Well, what about for next week for me? So I'm gonna recommend you a French film called Populaire, Populaire, which came out in 2012. And it's one of those films, it's I feel like it was a forerunner of the artist in the sense that it was like one of those very French films made by a French studio for French people to go and see that somehow gets big in the anglophone world. Mm -hmm. It happens every so often. And this was one of them. And I remember going to a screening of it at my local cinema where it was sponsored by some like chocolate brand and everyone (laughs) got like, oh, it was Galaxy. Everyone got a bar of Galaxy. And we all sat and watched this French film. That was really funny. And it was really nice. It's quite a stylized world. And it's about a young woman who works in a family run business. And she's a secretary. And she's really, really good at typing on a typewriter. And her boss gets obsessed with the idea that she could win the like national speed typing competitions. I'm sure I've seen the trailer for this. So he like becomes her coach and they enter all these typing competitions. Sounds wicked. I'm really excited.
1: Can't wait to watch it
2: thanks for listening to this episode of seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman if you enjoyed the show why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including in iTunes, where you could leave us a rating and a review. It helps other people find the show. Our
1: first ever live event, the Seriously Gilmore Girls quiz, is now sold out, but you can put your name on the waiting list by going to seriouslypod.com and clicking on events. Don't worry if you can't come though, there will be a special episode of the podcast devoted to all things Stars Hollow
2: as well. Also on our website, you'll find all our back episodes, including our specials on Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're also available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're seriously pod at all of them. We absolutely love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that
1: more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about
2: the podcast.